Welcome back to another episode of Remiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called Mormon Tinted Glasses. Today we're going to look at the way we perceive the world around us and how we do it through different lenses and how that affects the world that we perceive around us. The subject I want to discuss today might take a little bit of building up in order to get where we want to go, but stick with me and we will get there as quickly as I can. After what The Mormon church refers to as a faith crisis, some people call a truth crisis, whatever it is and however you define it in your head, after you have dissected and deconstructed these religious ideas, it changes the way you see the world around you. And that is just a fact. But when we are interacting with our loved ones, our spouses, our parents, our children, whatever the relationship may be, those on the progressive or post-Mormon spectrum are often frustrated by the response of their family members to them leaving for many reasons. I'm, I'm not going to cover everything, but the specific, the specific frustration that I want to talk about is how to respond when you're trying to show them all of the facts and they don't listen to you. Myself, after putting years into researching both the Old Testament, the New Testament, early Mormon history, Book of Mormon historicity, I came to the conclusion that it was false. Now, when we find out this information. A lot of us react by trying to shove facts and details and citations at our loved ones. And if we think introspectively about this, it's clear that that method does not work. You cannot force someone to change their mind and think something else. As a personal example, My wife is still an active, believing member of the church, and we have discussed these issues at length many, many times, so much so to the fact that she asked me to not talk to her about them quite so often. I wasn't doing it to try and convince her. Well, that's not entirely true. Maybe at first I was, but as the years went on, I developed a fascination for the history of the Mormon church and a fascination for the history of the scriptures, both the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh and the New Testament. And I have poured over as much information I can on those things because I find it so fascinating. But my wife doesn't. She's content to believe what she believes and 
be an active believing member of the church. Even after hearing so many of the things that I brought forward to her. And that is okay. I want to cover this concept that many people have struggled with that are on the nuanced or post-Mormon side of the belief spectrum. When you talk to someone who is believing, they are literally unable to see the facts. I don't mean to phrase it in such a way that knowing the accurate history of the church will lead you out of it. What I mean by this is, I am simply stating the fact that many people inside the Mormon church are unable to see the history for what it is. And why is that? Why is it so hard when our friends and family have spoken to us and they bring up the struggles and the issues that they have had? And when they ask us, well, why? Why are you changing your beliefs? Why are you different? And when we try and show them, we try and give them reasons, we, we lead them, we point them to the CES letter, we, we point them to letter to my wife, we recommend that they listen to Mormon stories, point them in the direction of, of RFM. All of these resources that are out there are good, and they are a, an excellent primer to get to know what these facts are and to get a better understanding of the actual history of the church. But when we recommend them to our loved ones, they oftentimes do not listen. It's as if they're unable to see the truth behind what we're telling them. And that is a frustrating experience. With all of the evidence available to everyone for free on the internet, well, free isn't exactly the case. You do have to pay for internet access unless you go to the library. I digress. The question comes up so often, why don't people see reason? If the truth is out there, why can't they find it? I would wager that the majority of people that all of us have sent this information to made no changes in their life. And that can be frustrating. That can be sad. That can be irritating. Now, I want to point out a strong sense of irony that this brings up. I want to ask myself this, and you should ask yourself the same question as you're being frustrated with other people. How long ago was I unable to look at these evidences in a different light? When did I allow myself to consider the fact that it might not be true? And when you think about it like that, and you think about all of the things that you realized, and when I think about all the things that I learned and how I repackaged them into a Mormon theology, when I left the church, I at first did not make any sort of fuss about it. I had deconstructed my belief and I was living the physically and mentally out life. My wife knew about it, and we were comfortable with that. I was keeping all the commandments that the church recommends and living my life largely as I had done for the prior 30 years. And, and I didn't see anything wrong with that. I was trying to be respectful of her and respectful of the promises we made to each other at marriage. It came to a head when 
I was trying to bless my daughter that was born about a year ago. And the bishop, (laughs) if I get too far into this, this whole episode could be this story. So I'm going to try, I'm going to say it as briefly as I can. I was honest with the bishop where I stood with my beliefs. He decided, and it was in his rights to make this decision because I was a member of his ward. He decided that I did not have the priesthood power or I did not have the authority to bless my daughter. So here we were a week before the blessing and we had to ask my father-in-law to bless my baby. It was a bittersweet moment and I was actually looking forward to it because I found I found value in the ritual as a as a way of presenting my child to our family and our society and saying this one is mine this is this one is is part of our clan and i see i found a spiritual value in in the ordinance even if i didn't believe that it had any sort of impact on anything so i wanted to do it but i could not now here here was the hard part is it put my wife and i in the situation where suddenly We couldn't live in the way that we had been. We couldn't be quiet about the differences that she and I had in our beliefs. And I decided that I didn't want people to assume I had committed some sort of sin. So a few weeks before her blessing, I announced on Facebook that I was no longer a member of the church. And that's when a storm of messages came in through Facebook. And it initiated dialogues between me and people that I had not spoken to in years. I'm sure that this is the case with many of you who have been public about leaving, but I I received messages from roommates that I had no contact with for a decade. I'd received messages from childhood friends, from people that I knew on my mission, the full spectrum. Everyone was reaching out to me. And these comments that I received were also on a full spectrum Many of them had left the church, some of them were still in, some of them were very supportive, some of them were less so. In these conversations, many of these conversations that I had with believing members from my past, they oftentimes would ask, well, why did you leave? What happened? Were you offended? And the answer every time was, nope, I was not offended. And for the first the first conversation i tried to shove facts down their throat i tried to vomit up as much information as i could to show them all of the reasons why i left and that was honestly the same sort of conversations i had with my wife when i first started going through this i would talk her ear off for hours every night telling her every single story i had heard about Did you know that William Law did this? Did you know that Joseph Smith did that? Did you know that polygamy was practiced this way? Every night, to the point where she was sick of it. In these two two examples I have given, the one where a roommate reached out to me and my wife, I, I largely had the same response. I regurgitated as much information as I had been learning as I could. And they reacted very differently from each other. My wife... She did, she did research and she did read and she did study these things. She started listening to Mormon stories and she accepted what I had told her as truth. But she decided that the church was still valuable to her. With these people that had reached out to me through Facebook, 
instead of engaging with this debate on, on facts, they simply would share their testimony. And that's the response that many of us get when we start talking about all of these reasons why we left and did you know the church did that and did you know the church hoards billions of dollars? That's not the way to engage with these people because they literally cannot see it. And I want to use a little bit of Kantian philosophy to understand why. I recently had an old work acquaintance reach out to me. This was just the other day. And he and I had an interesting conversation. This this guy stopped believing in the church when he was 12 and left it when he was 17. And we worked together for a summer when I was 24 and I think he was 23, maybe he was 22, somewhere in that ballpark. Now, he reached out to me because he had heard through a mutual friend that I no longer believe in the church. And he called me up out of the blue and we had a long discussion about it. And he told me this same exact frustration that we're talking about. He said that as we worked together, and as he and I discussed various things, I, <laughs> I tend to dive deep into whatever I'm interested in and I study way too hard and I read way too much. As my wife puts it, I tend to throw up facts and just vomit for a long time whatever I have been researching and, and learning. It's not pretty. It's not entertaining for her. Anyway, I'm sure I was doing the same sort of thing with this, with this guy. He expresses the fact that he wondered how I could be so studious and also oblivious at the same time. He said to me that he was confused that I could be a college-educated, smart guy. His words, not mine. I don't profess to be smart. I get things wrong a lot. He said, how could such a smart guy be a member of the church and just not see it? This comment got me thinking, and as I said, I don't profess to be the smartest guy in the room. I never am, but I do always like to be learning something because there's always something you can learn from somebody. And that was true when I worked with him, and that's true today. So why didn't I see it? What held me back? And what holds our loved ones back? This, this is the big question. Now, I want to explore this concept through the lens of, of a philosopher named Immanuel Kant, as I said in the intro. Kant was born in 1924 in East Prussia. It's now Germany. He was an Enlightenment scholar, and he pushed back against the popular ideas of reality and metaphysics at his time. He wrote a few books in the late 18th century that dramatically influenced Western thought, clear up until this day. Now, I, <laughs> I read a critique of pure reason by him, and I tried my hardest to understand it, but it went straight over my head. I probably understood 20% of what he was trying to say, and even 20% is probably generous to what, what I understood from him. I actually ended up uh, Googling it and watching some YouTube videos from different professors and reading some essays 
on Kant to understand him better. So even though I read the book, I didn't understand the book. <laughs> but I want to present one of the ideas that he talks about in his book because I think it will help us understand why people don't see it. Now, before I read this quote from him, I want to give a quick def definition. He uses the term a priori a couple of times. And uh, in order to understand what he's saying, we got to know what he means by that. So an a priori is knowledge that we, that we learn from theoretical deduction through observation or experience. So he's, so when he's talking about this, he's, he's talking about how we know what we know. And at the day there were, there were a bunch of different philosophers, Hume and Locke that had differing ideas on, on this subject of, of how we know an empirical truth. Maybe I'll cover some of their philosophies at a later time, but for now we'll go into Kant and what he says about how we can know the truth about something. Now here's a quote from a critique of pure reason. Kant says, if the intuition must conform to the nature of the objects, I do not see how we can know anything of them a priori. If, on the other hand, the object conforms to the nature of our faculty of intuition, I can then easily conceive the possibility of such an priori knowledge. So let's rephrase that into, in a way where we can understand what he's trying to say. But what he says is, we cannot comprehend a thing without it conforming to the nature of our intuition. He says, if intuition conforms to the nature of objects, he doesn't understand how we can know anything about an object. And then on the flip side, he says, if we can comprehend a thing through our intuition, that is how we understand an object. He's trying to reframe how we see the world, and he, he phrases it on the second sentence, or on the second half of this quote, he phrases it in, in this way. It says, if we see it through our perspective, then I can easily conceive that we understand a thing. Again, it's a little complex, but there's a modern, there's a modern thought experiment that helps us understand what he's trying to say. Imagine that you were born with green tinted glasses over your eyes that you can never remove your whole life. You do not know they are there. Now with these green tinted glasses, the whole world around you is perceived as being tinted green. To you, it would be objectively green. The world is green because you have green tinted glasses on that you do not know about. The question for the thought experiment then is, how could you know if you're seeing things as they are or not? How can someone then objectively deduce that they're not perceiving the world from their perspective. This idea has some very cool implications. A lot of people relate it to the fact that different animals have different color receptors in their eyes. 
So for example, humans have three color receptive cones in our eyes, and there are mantis shrimps that have 16 color receptive cones. They can detect so many more colors than we can on the spectrum. The same thing goes to snakes that can see on a thermal spectrum. The same concept can be to insects that can see in ultraviolet. Or on the other side of the spectrum, dogs that are missing one of the cones that we have, so they can't detect shades of red at all. And imagine what the world would look like if you could not see the color red, and how all of the colors that we see would blend to a different color. So let's, let's say, for example, a dog that only has two color receptive cones in their eyes. They only see shades of blue and yellow instead of red. So their color spectrum is just transitions from blue and yellow, and they only see things on that scale of blue to yellow. How then could you explain the color red to a dog that has never seen the color red and has no capacity to see the color red? I'm going to relate that back to Mormonism. Now, as we grow up in the church or are converted and become members of the church later, we're given these Mormon-tinted glasses. We do not know that we're wearing them. We do not know the influence they have on how we perceive the world around us. They are invisible to us. But we perceive everything. Science, politics, relationships. Everything comes to us through these Mormon-tinted glasses. Everything is in the context of Mormon theology. Now, those of you who are listening to this most likely fall into this category where you have since deconstructed religion or maybe are in the process of deconstructing religion. What that means is you have taken off those Mormon-tinted glasses and you're looking at the world through a different lens. You're no longer interpreting the world through Mormon theology. At one point in all of our lives, we have done this. We took off those glasses and we reassessed evolution. We reassessed biblical historicity. We reassessed science. We reassessed how we really felt about the commandments or the teachings of the church. And it wasn't until we removed those glasses and allowed ourselves to look at this through a different perspective. Only then could we see the church for what it really was. These glasses, these Mormon-tinted glasses, are the reason that your friends and family do not listen when you send them quotes from, from Mormon Think or from the CES letter. These Mormon-tinted glasses are the reason that they react to you the way that they do. As an example from my life, when my family sees that I have left the church and that I no longer believe, I fit into that paradigm and there are certain implications and assumptions about me that come along with it because of their Mormon-tinted glasses. They're perceiving me through the Mormon lens. I've seen used a lot the idea of building a puzzle slowly over time of the doctrines and beliefs and how when you go through a faith transition, you have to shatter that puzzle. I, I like the imagery. I think that's beautiful. But it's more complex than that. Because the truth was always there. You just didn't see it. 
I just didn't see it. And I have an interesting, an interesting example of that that I want to discuss. I read a book in college that I, when I read it at the time, it was faith-promoting and spiritual, and I, I came away from it just elevated and ready to serve the Lord. And then I read that same exact book a decade later in the middle of my faith transition in an attempt to regain that fervor I got from it the first time. But when I read the book again, I saw what the author was really trying to say. And it did not line up with Mormonism. And it altered my worldview in a good way. The book was The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. And both the part one, which is his discussion of the monomyth, and part two, which he referred to as the cosmogenic cycle. I read both of these and loved them dearly as a member of the church. I, I read this book again in the middle of my faith transition, and it helped me see the world much differently. And I took a drastically different meaning from it the second time. What was different? They were the exact same words in this book. It wasn't as if somehow the same copy of the book were different 10 years later. The only thing that changed was me. What changed specifically in me was that I was willing to try and read it from a different lens without nailing it down to the paradigm of Mormonism. So these Mormon tinted glasses that we get, every time we learn something, whether it's evolution or the, his, the age of the earth, or any, anything that we learn, it has to fit in this paradigm because Mormonism is all-encompassing in the way that we think. When someone tells you something that does not fit in the paradigm, it's as if you cannot even see it because it does not line up with the Mormon-tinted glasses. The glasses filter it out and you cannot understand it. The only person that we're in control of is ourselves. And we have to come to terms with that. Give up on this idea that you will convince or change someone. And instead, just love them for who they are. If they're hurting you, maybe that love is separation. If they're not hurting you, and they refuse to take off those Mormon glasses, that's their choice. And we are given the opportunity to love them for who they are. And maybe we can all learn together. The people that we love in our lives may or may not ever take off these Mormon tinted glasses and see the world from a new perspective. And there is nothing wrong with either outcome because it is their life and their choice. We will not be able to have open conversations about religion and theology and deconstruction with everyone. Many people that you know and love will not want to talk about this with you. And there is nothing wrong with that. Enjoy and cherish the relationships for what they are. If a person brings up a subject and they want to discuss it, then yes, have a discussion. If they say something that is just blatantly racist or homophobic, Correct them. But on most other subjects, 
the best answer is not to regurgitate facts and information on them. The best answer is to love them for who they are. We talk about unconditional love within Mormonism. In my mind, whenever the church brings that up, and even, even as a believer, anytime that someone talked about unconditional love over the pulpit or in a lesson, the line from Princess Bride always popped up into my head. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Unconditional love means without conditions. We love them if they stay in the church, and we love them if they leave the church. We love them without a condition on it. We love them just as they are, and we love them for the person that they will be in 10 years from now, because it may or may not even be close to the person that they are today. But that's, that's the beautiful thing about relationships. When you truly love someone, you will want what's best for them. But that might look like something different than what's best for you or me. I could go on a whole tangent on this because Aristotle has some awesome things to say about friendship and love. And I should do a full episode on it because I think it can give us some excellent insight into the relationships that we have with other members of the church and how many of us experience this sort of phoniness to quote J.D. Salinger our interactions with other people. So, so that, that is on, that's on my mind. I'll do it soon. I promise. When I was going through a faith transition, I was beating myself up mentally for not having seen it. How could I have missed this? How could I have not studied harder when all of the facts were right there? I grew up I grew up in a time where the internet was coming out and these things were on the internet a Google search away. The internet has been a thing, has been a part of my life since I was a kid. I didn't have as much or as easy access to it as kids do today, but I could have searched and researched these things at any point in time. I could have looked them up when I was in high school or when I was in college or when I was newly married, but I didn't. So at one point in my life, when I had finally allowed myself to remove those Mormon tinted glasses and consider the world from a perspective that did not line up with Mormon theology, the way I interpret this concept helps me to better understand the loved ones in my life that don't wish to engage in this sort of a conversation. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with not understanding. There's nothing wrong with, with believing in the church your whole life and then in your later years finding out that it's wrong. I understand that there are definitely feelings of pain and frustration for the time and service given. But you cannot blame yourself. The way that people think and the way that we intuit the world around us is influenced by our beliefs 
and by the things that we hold true in our in our minds and in our hearts. The only person's mind that I can change is my own. And I do that through research and study, through critical analysis and thinking. And it's no different than anyone, anyone else. When or if a person is ready, they will take off these Mormon-tinted glasses and they will see the world from a new perspective. That perspective doesn't have to be them leaving the church. I believe that a nuanced view of the church can be very healthy. And that if the church makes some steps to being a healthier organization, it can be a, a great place to raise a family. The hard part, and what I've seen in my own life, is that the current teachings of the church are exclusive to nuanced believers. That is one thing that has to change. Perhaps my experience is anecdotal, and I will admit that, because we do go through this, this bishop roulette where we might get one bishop who is more lenient and we might get another that is a bit stricter. So I recognize that, that, some, that in some cases there may be a bishop that would allow a member to have a, a nuanced belief. And that's okay. I think that's very healthy. Until the church is given direction from the prophet and the Quorum of the Twelve on how to handle a nuanced believer, there's no way to guarantee that there will be a space for a nuanced believer in the church which is sad because I, I am of the opinion that the nuanced believers have a much healthier view of spirituality. They exist in a space where they can question and think for themselves more than those that just listen to the words and apply the teachings without a second thought to what is being taught. That may have come out as offensive to a believer, and I'm sorry, but when we have teachings when we have thought-stopping teachings in the church, such as milk before meat, such as when the prophets speak, the thinking is over, these ideas are thought-stopping and they discourage people from actually critically analyzing what, what they are believing. Socrates has a beautiful paradox that shines a light onto this subject. The phrase that he's quoted as having said is, I know that I know nothing. It's a fun little paradox because how can he know that he knows nothing if he knows nothing? And it's a, it's a fun little thing to think about and try and understand. But the, it's commonly rephrased and restated in, in such a way as, I don't know what I don't know. You hear people say that regularly. And that's the truth. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I still don't know the things that I don't know and understand. And the only way to remedy that is learning, is reading, is studying, is expanding my mind, is learning about the experiences of other people, of other cultures. And that is the only way to learn about the things that we don't know. So we cannot blame ourselves for not knowing a thing or not understanding a thing. It's normal. That's part of life. The problem comes in when we don't do anything about it. If we stay in ignorance, if someone says something to us that, that makes us question, if we never research it, if we never look into it, then it's on us. In my worldview, learning as much as we can from other perspectives and other peoples is the best way to grow in compassion, to become better people. It's the only reason that I was able to take off my Mormon tinted glasses.
To close things off on this episode, I want to read a quote from the book Old Paths, White Clouds by Thich Nhat Hanh. It's what I'm currently reading right now, but I, a book like this, it's going to take me a minute to get through because I'll, I'll read a chapter and I'll try and sit with it and, and really understand it. It's not a novel. It is, it is a theological book about the Buddha. This is from chapter 17 and it's the second paragraph in chapter 17. The author is Thich Nhat Hanh on this one. Up until this point, he's described the whole journey of the Buddha up until his moment of enlightenment. In his search for enlightenment, he's searching for the cause of suffering. So he says this, he says, The drops in the river of perceptions intermingled and influenced each other in their process of birth, existence, and death. If one's perceptions were accurate, reality revealed itself with ease. But if one's perceptions were erroneous, reality was veiled. Now, while his, con- his conclusions were a little bit different than Kant, their insight is almost identical. It is on point. The Buddha is saying, if we perceive the world wrongly, then reality is veiled to us. I don't want to give the impression that you have to come to the same conclusions as me. We need to love people as they are without expectation. We need to accept people that make different conclusions that we do. I think that if we create a safe space to debate and disagree, we will see real change in the church. But if we attack and belittle and regurgitate vomit facts, we will see much more resistance. As always, there are things that I think the church needs to stop right now. But for the most part, many of the other changes that I would see in the church and within the church's culture are things that we can push back softly against. I hope that you found today's discussion insightful. I have a continuation of this thought, this concept of Mormon tinted glasses prepared for next week's episode. I hope that you enjoy it. It's going to be going to be a fun one. We're going to discuss a little bit about cafeteria Mormonism and how our Mormon tinted glasses aren't so universal as we think. They're influenced by our individual experiences. Thank you for listening. If this is content that you enjoy, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, share it with your friends. Send me a message. Let me know some of the things that you've thought. Let me know if there's something you disagree with. I would be happy to read your comment here on the air and discuss some of your insights on on these things that we've discussed. So, as I said, reach out. I would love to hear from you. 